Hi guys, Laura here. We do have some trigger warnings for this episode. One is child abuse and the other is sexual assault um, of a minor. We also have some warnings on the book recommendations that we give at the end of the episode, but we'll give the warnings for those things at that time. So please take care of yourselves and be safe. Hey look, it's, hey, a, look, butterfly. it's a butterfly. Okay, here we go. Here, I'll put a knee slap in. Oh, wow, that was thick. That was juicy. <laughs> I know, it was a big spike. Juicy slap. Uh, okay. Welcome to Reading Rainbow. Laura, take it away. A podcast where we read books that we read in high school or middle school or before that, and we try to dive in and see what we were supposed to get out of them. Or not get out of them. Perfect. Yep, that was a perfect Great take. Intro. I will take no feedback. <laughs> no comment. Well, that brings us to some news that I was going to wait to share at the end, but why not just share it right at the top? Let's just shake it up. We made a Twitter yeah! like the day after we released the new episode. So then we were just like, tweet, tweet. So mm-hmm. we have a Twitter and tell us what the handle is, Laura. Um, It's, I forgot. <laughs> Because it's it's not the same as our email, so don't get don't be tricked. I have to tell you, listeners, that I'm don't so shook and I have I'm like kind of angry at Twitter that yeah. their handle has a character limit of like what eighteen characters. Well, it's too, it's too many for or too little for us. Yeah, it's like I think it was one off of what yeah, we are. We have a big we have a big thick URL or handle or whatever it is a title apparently. Yeah. Okay. Um, go ahead. It's. It is read, not read pod. So I will spell that for all of you um, because I like doing that. Go. R-E-A-D-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-P-O-D. At read, not read pod. Please at us. Uh, Please. Because we want to be engaged to be married. No, just kidding. Try to be nice, but also, I mean, just at us. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I hope, yeah. I don't want to be married right now. Um, and then also other news we have, we are now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Woo! So if you go to the search bar in either of those and just type in Writing Rainbow. Yes. Well, I mean, probably in Apple Podcasts, you'll, or in Apple, in the iTunes store, like make sure you put podcast because otherwise, Mm -hmm. likely our predecessor and unaffiliated uh, show Reading Rainbow, which we are not, uh, totally different, right. will probably not pop that. up before us. But, and then Spotify, we're, we're just up there. So, stop yeah. on by. Or if you're in the podcast app for Apple, I think that, oh yeah, there's a lot of other things. That oh. <laughs> oh yeah, there is a lot of other things. <laughs> but we're in the top like three or four. Listen, uh, it's like, there's a picture of a rainbow, I think. It does not have LeVar Burton on the cover. I'll tell you yeah. that much. <laughs> if there's one that says that has LeVar Burton, not us, you're <laughs> you're in the wrong place. Yeah, like literally, this might change later because we are also in the works of getting an official like logo. But album cover. as of now, it is just white background, rainbow, and the words reading. No, and the words no 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 no, no. <laughs> and the words reading rainbow. It's pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have our faces. 
just the text and a yes. picture of a rainbow. End of story. Look us up. Leave a review. Yeah. Tell your friends and family because now yeah. we're more accessible than we were when we were on SoundCloud, which was a yeah, foolish you can move. Access us in so many more platforms. Yeah, you're welcome. Um. Anyways, other current events. Well, so yeah, little little backstory. Laura and I met in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We were just there yep. for fun. No other reason other mm-hmm. than pure, unadulterated enjoyment, mirth, personal pleasure. So. Yeah. While we were there, we also made friends with other people. Um, so many other people. Also aged 20 to 24 or beyond or below. I don't really remember. No one knows. And mm-hmm. a couple of days ago, and for you listeners, this will probably be much later, but a couple of days ago, Iowa was hit with what I would call a land hurricane and what others would disagree <laughs> with and call a... Derecho storm. Derecho. 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 Derecho That is what the meteorologists would call it. Yes, Lauren, you took Spanish, so tell me. What is the etymology? Well, derecho, okay. I thought derecho means right, like as in a right hand. Also, it was in like human rights, which is fascinating, um, just that it crosses over. But according to Wikipedia, it comes from the word derecho meaning straight, as opposed to a tornado, which means to turn or twist. So it's a really massive, terrible, like severe storm that shoots across some area in a straight line. So that shape is kind of integral to it. And so Cedar Rapids was hit super hard yeah no and they were like right in that straight for the derecho if it was a tornado mm-hmm. maybe they would have gotten spared but not this time which kind of yeah, sucks would have turned to time because uh in 2008 they also suffered a flood um that a big hit, flood yeah hit the area pretty badly and yes. now they just can't catch a break and they're also apparently being sued by trump so it's really just not looking well mm-hmm. for iowa and we to be to get more into specifics, sorry, I keep cutting you off. Go ahead. Um, to be, get into more specifics, like tons of trees are down, power lines are down, and it's, I mean, six days after, and some people don't have power, and they don't know when they're going to get it back, so people in um, are in tents instead of apartments, because there's, and there's no AC. Uh, getting gas isn't a problem, because if you don't have cash, then you can't use your credit card, and the gas pumps won't work, um, so that is a huge issue, like getting around people um you know have to throw away the food in their fridge and i will say it's six days after the storm as of now and it has received no coverage by Mm -hmm. national news or like right so it's it's really just being ignored and as we know the media is against us and they are Mm -hmm. most likely censoring that stuff but ashton kutcher came to the rescue a couple days ago and was like called him called trump out on twitter and was like why is no one Mm. covering this so we'll see what happens in the next couple of days. However, yes, because uh, remember, Ashton Kutcher is from Cedar Rapids. Just yes, so that's why he called. That's why he's that. he's our spokesperson. So is Elijah Wood. I'm sure my boy Elijah's just mm. trying to get trying to do some underground work, but I'm sure he's still mm-hmm. fighting for his city. Um, yeah, and maybe if you're looking to help, um, there's a couple of different places you can donate to. I know Willis Dady, which is a homeless shelter. I think is always mm-hmm. just in general always taking donations, um, but yes. especially now, where a lot of people have been displaced, they are looking for um, financial support. 
And I know that Mm -hmm. HACAP, which is like Hawkeye Area Community Action Program. Um, They do a lot of actually different initiatives, um, including food security. I helped them out this summer. Um, Our organization worked with them to distribute food throughout the school district. Um, They're pretty awesome. And they help out in a lot of different areas. But yeah, it would be great to support them in this time. I think they set up a specific fund for Derek. Mm I keep wanting to call it Derrico for the storm relief. I'm just going to say storm. Yes. Because I. The storm. Derecho. Yeah, the land hurricane. Uh, I think United Way is another one that's setting up a specific fund Mm -hmm. to provide some sort of relief uh, to the area. So. So, are you going to provide links for those in the show notes or the Twitter? Nope. Find them on your own. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, sure. I'll provide them. No, I will. I will. I will. Um,. Going off of that with the whole Trump thing, and we also have the election mm. and something that was announced recently again for us, maybe not for you, the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris Ooh, um, yeah. what's campaign like thingy thing mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. Yeah. partnership com- they're they're joiner running it together on the ticket. Yes, ticket announcement thing. so yeah. I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about that other than um, it seems a bit unwise to choose a former cop in this mm-hmm. time. But yeah, I'm not going to say a whole lot about it because you can look at plenty of other people with much more credibility to kind of navigate all the feelings that are surrounding that topic. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm going to say about it. You will hear nothing from me. <laughs> I will provide no comments. Yeah. No comment. Adjacently related, the USPS, the U.S. postal system. Yes. They're in danger. Buy some stamps. Oh, I love. Yeah, I know. So, like, listen, reasons why you should, why we want the USPS system around. First of all, what happens if they go plentiful. away? Like, how do we have mail? Yeah, like what? And I mean, people are like, you can use UPS or FedEx, but the USPS is the only one that gets to like every nook and cranny of this country. Yeah, so I mean, it's great if you live in a major city, but what about your aunts and uncles and friends and family who live in the butt crack of nowhere? Hmm? Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about that? Um, so definitely buy some stamps. That's that's the only advice I've heard from everyone. They're just like, just buy some stamps. I'm like, all right, well, oh, right. <laughs> they'll get my $8, and then hopefully that'll keep them afloat, I guess. I love the USPS. Yeah, I love <laughs> like, getting mail. My first love. I love being able to send mail, and the fact that like nobody can read what's in the mail, unless it's a postcard, in which case everybody can <laughs> it's read very the postcard. <laughs> it's so exposed. But So just be aware that that's going on. As I'm sure you already are, but if you're not, and this is your only source of news, and it's from two oh, gosh. people that come out with a podcast once a month, be aware of that. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, that's a lot of responsibility now that you it could, bring up the possibility. Maybe, maybe <laughs> it is. Maybe you got someone who's just like, Man. oh my gosh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the Iowa thing, maybe, because again, not being covered by national news, so maybe no one oh, knows yeah. about it. As a kid, I, I collected stickers, like anything that could be sticky and put on paper, Gum. <laughs> like I collected. So that also included stamps. <laughs> but the thing is, like, I would take the stamp and put it in. And then my dad found me and he was like, 
Laura, this is this is money. Like that's as good as money. And I was, you know, six, so I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like that is not true. <laughs> and I got in trouble. So I was taught f- respect for stamps and the USPS at a very young age. <laughs> oh, good. You know, I think about all the good. dumb stuff I used to do as a kid that was just like wasting money because I just didn't understand. <laughs> yeah. Like in my childhood home, we have adjustable thermometers like everywhere like the ones where you have to turn the dial or like flip the like switchy Mm -hmm. thing and so in the movie (laughs) eloise at the plaza she's always messing with a thermostat Ooh, and i was like oh that's fun and i would just do that all the time just go around and like flip it i'm like really hot (laughs) and i would just walk away because i like you know i did not (laughs) feel it i didn't notice and then I, I realize now, I'm like, oh my gosh, our utility bill must have been, like, off yeah. the freaking chain. It must have been wild. So, I'm mm-hmm. so sorry, Mom and Dad. And I would also just, like, go in rooms, turn on the lights, and leave. Because I was just like, oh, yeah. Who cares? Go on the planet, too. Yeah. yeah. So, that I'm glad that you, you learned the importance of postage and it's the usps postage and its value but no post on sundays no no post on sundays we can't ever forget that but i also forget that pretty no. regularly i know it's still a surprise every week <laughs> i'm like no wonder they're going downhill they're they're closed on the most important day the lord's day when we need letters the most yeah. just kidding also this is kind of a segue on twitter i retweeted an article by bookriot.com which i can't recommend enough sometimes they do fun stuff like what book should you read based on your favorite avatar the last airbender character um oh, bring it back anyway that's avatar. just it's just fun you know anyway and so on this list there i was surprised there are actually quite a few like black voices books so go to our twitter and check it out if you want to find that or go to book riot's twitter <laughs> if you want to but i would really rather you yeah, stop by with, ours and just say ours hey. first and then go to book riot please yeah and follow us for more fun news like that like we'll be tweeting about books we read um other things book news current events yeah we might even try and engage our our audience and like ask questions yeah like oh retweet we might mention you we might (laughs) yes you uh but i'm always afraid of like unless you don't want us doing that where you put out like a you're like hey guys tell me favorite books and no one responds and you're like Oh no, I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, then, so. And then you pay your friends to actually respond. Yeah, or you just make a bunch of fake Twitter accounts and you're like, oh, mine mm-hmm. favorites this book. And by the way, your eyes are beautiful. And then I respond in the, in the main and I'm like, how do you know what my eyes look like? And then I've catfished myself. So, um. We'd rather not play that game. <laughs> We'd rather really, truly respond to you. And that brings us to our next topic, which is where we share one organization and one artist um, in order to support Black Lives Matter or other initiatives in that sphere. So the organization that I have selected is one that is local to Colorado Springs, and it is called Hillside Connection. Um, Some backstory. I work at a coffee shop, and it is in a neighborhood called Hillside. There's, it's just like an under-resourced area. So Hillside Connection is primarily kind of like a program that is serving underprivileged youth. Uh, through Its main thing is through basketball and other sports programs. And then they've been moved on to more collaborating more with other nonprofits and organizations uh, to provide different kinds of activities. I will post their website in the 
episode description. Laura, go. Cool. Okay. The organization that I've chosen is actually part of this auction that is going on online. And I actually tweeted about it on our Twitter, so go check it out. It's called Authors for Black Voices. Um, and we'll put that link in the description, too. We actually have so many links. So what's going on is there's a bunch of things being auctioned, like copy, signed copies of books or services by publishers and other things. And um, all of the proceeds from this auction are going to go towards different organizations and different nonprofits that all work within um, racial justice areas like publishing, education, and literacy. And I, in looking through the different people who are organizations that will benefit from this, I found Facing History and Ourselves. So this is an organization that works to help educators become better at fostering empathy, reflection, and um, encouraging their students to think critically about hard topics such as race in U.S. history, justice and human rights. So they do a lot of different things like professional development or just providing resources and lessons for teachers. That's good. No, that's very true. Thanks. And I mean, it is like we got to reshape our education system and our educators and how they approach certain topics. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. as we know, as we've as a result of the Black Lives Matter movement, there are many things that are just intentionally overlooked in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. For example, the Rosewood and the Tulsa riots. Mm-hmm. And that is something yeah. I've never heard of before. And I'm, and it's like intentional that I never heard this. Yeah. And, and having been an, you know, an educator before I can say it is, you know, hard to bring up things like this and to approach things like this. Cause you don't want to say the wrong thing mm-hmm. and you don't want to, um, even like in our podcast, we talked about this. Like, we don't want to come across as ignorant or as offensive, or we don't want to, you know, perpetrate harm like above all else. Yeah, it's it's we're we're, we're like you know past college. We're both past college now, Woo! and we're still yeah you know, learning just things about history that it, we should have things about um, Black African American history and things about you know we've like learned about Chinese American history together. Mm. Um, but even then, that was like an intentional thing. Like they weren't teaching that. In, uh, to us in schools it was later on when we felt like we had more autonomy and control over what we learned yeah. that we decided to like seek out this information right we talk a lot about how teachers and districts and like people who write textbooks and so many different people in power control have control over the narrative like they mm-hmm. choose which books and which events we learn about and which ones we don't and that has a very obvious and like harmful bias towards white history um and white narratives hey could we switch it up i want to talk about my person yeah i'm excited the person I'm choosing is actually it's not a creator in our typical sense like artist creator um, she is a chef and she's written a cookbook her name is Jarell Guy and I actually found her through um, Samin Nasrat's Insta she is a black chef who has this blog called Chocolate for Basil and so the blog is really cool it has a lot of recipes um, that are budget friendly and like vegetarian um, she also has published a cookbook called Black Girl Baking, and I'm looking at it, and actually there's things like buttermilk pie and plum chai pie. And I'm not a pie person. I think it's I think pie is really weird because it's like goop that you just put in a shell and then Hates pie. slice, and then the and then the goop falls out. Anyway, like, but I'm really intrigued by this plum chai pie. So this is also kind of a current event. Uh, so Bon Appetit, the food magazine, um, has recently kind of been exposed for its really deep racial bias. 
the editor-in-chief, I believe, was revealed to have done blackface before and didn't really deal with the exposure very well. And the magazine does some test kitchen videos. So they have this YouTube channel and about 12 chefs that all have, you know, really unique personalities and they banter and stuff with each other while they talk about food and do different recipes. But some chefs of color have spoken out and said that they are not compensated fairly for these videos. They do not get paid as much for appearing in them as their white counterparts, which is pretty messed up. So the Bon Appetit in like March or April or whenever that was said, okay, well, we're going to address this. We're going to fix this. But recently, three chefs of color came out and said they gave us new contracts and they're not different. Like Bon Appetit has just not really changed anything so they are going to leave the channel and i think leave bon appetit totally so that is pretty disappointing you know because uh bon appetit test kitchen gave me such joy but i'm still going to follow those chefs for sure uh, as they move on and that spurred me to try to expand you know my food social media interaction i guess beyond bon appetit and to look for more black and bipoc and people of color who are chefs to follow so that led me to send me no sweats different posts and led me to Jarell Guy. But what creator, artist, person are you going to share with us? I want to talk about Caleb Rainey. Ooh. And I have a second degree connection with him. <gasps> so I don't know him personally, but he is mutual friends with some people who I am friends with when I went to Iowa for fun that one time and definitely not for college. Yeah. Um, and I also, so he is a spoken word poet as well as an author. Um, you can find some of his work on his Instagram at the underscore Negro artist. Mm. And I saw him perform at a MLK event just this February when my school choir went to go sing at a church service and he performed there. Excellent performer, very articulate, uh, really powerful energy to the stage. Mm. Just one that was, for me, very captivating. And I've also just been getting into spoken word poetry more, so I, like, revisited some of his stuff and big fan. Great. Hey, guess what? What? So, for this reading of the book The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros, I had to use the Kindle version. I had to buy the Kindle version and read it because normally I use Libby. I love Libby. But I didn't reserve the ebook copy early enough to get one for this reading. And that is just, you know, my bad. So I had to go to Amazon and buy it. And I don't, like... <laughs> enjoy like i don't enjoy having to switch software things you know i'm not saying the kindle software is wrong it's just different so like tapping i have to tap in different places to make things move and go to different menus to search and everything so it's just been different but during this call i got the notification that my ebook is ready to borrow at the library so oh perfect yeah timing. thank you for coming in clutch at during at the very last possible second i can finally look at the libby version of this and use the Libby software. Thank goodness. Can I tell you an even funnier story? Even funnier. So <laughs> please do. I found the book on my Libby app, and I res I reserved it thinking it was the audiobook, and then it was the PDF, and then I or like you know the reading mm -hmm. one. So then I just let it sit on my shelf. I didn't even return it. I just let it sit there, and then I went on YouTube and I listened mm -hmm. to some rando reading it. Um. So maybe I took it from you. 
Yeah, maybe you took it out of the Wisconsin Digital Library. <laughs> so sorry about that. But you know what else you can find easy on the internet? Pictures of the turtles. <laughs> uh, no, those are actually really hard to find, Laura. Don't rub it in. Um, okay. What you can find is the house on Mango Street on Goodreads mm. and find the blurb that I'm about to read to you. Yo. Are you ready? Great. Let's go. <clears throat> Acclaimed by critics, beloved by readers of all ages, taught everywhere from inner-city grade schools to universities across the country, and translated all over the world, The House on Mango Street is the remarkable story of Esperanzo Cordero, told in a series of vignette vignettes. No, vignettes. <laughs> vignettes, not a vignette. We went over this. Okay. Told in a series of vignettes, something heartbreaking, sometimes deeply joyous, it is the story of a young Latina girl growing up in Chicago, inventing for herself who and what she will become. Few other books in our time have touched so many readers. End blurb. Super short, doesn't give you a whole lot of detail mm-hmm. about the narrative of it, but does a pretty good su- job of summarizing the general book itself. Yeah. So if I were to put it into my own words, I would give you the following summary. Right after this quick music transition. So this book's about a girl named Esperanza moving into a house on Mango Street with her family. And this is kind of significant that it's the first house they've ever lived in and owned. Um, So this is the latest in a series of moves. And apparently this is supposed to cover about a year of her life. So it's told in vignette style. So these are short stories um, that don't have a lot of details and they sometimes don't really have beginnings or ends and they can be as short as like a page or two. So a lot of the details are left to the imagination or for the reader to fill in or try to infer. So it starts when the family moves in and it chapter by chapter kind of describes her neighbors um, and events with each one, although it's not it's not systematic. Eventually, at the end, Ma- uh, what's her name? Sorry, not Mango. Esperanza. <laughs> she talks about... Mango. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> she leaves Mango Street eventually with her books and her papers and stuff, but she says she's only gone away to come back. So it's implied she will eventually return to Mango Street for the people that live there. And I have a highlight. <clears throat> okay, the quote is, they will not know I have gone away to come back for the ones I left behind, for the ones who cannot out. Mm-hmm. End summary. My book, mm-hmm. both the Libby and the Kindle version, have an intro. Do, do yours have an intro? Do you know? No. Okay. The rando on YouTube that I had reading to me gave me no introduction. He, this was the... YouTuber's literal introduction. It was, hey guys, today I'm reading The House on Mango Street because I want to. And then he just went into it. I'm like, all right, cool. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so the introduction, so the Sandra Cisneros wrote an introduction for this book in 2008, but the book was published in 1984. <gasps> 1984. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, call back. So the intro is actually offers a lot, a lot of insight. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What? One more thing. Uh, Throwback Thursday. Okay, keep going. Yeah. um, Because as I think a teen when I read this, I don't think I read the intro. And so this fills in a lot of 
kind of gaps. So she, I won't really quote too much of the intro, but she talks a lot about how as a girl, she always dreamed about having a home just to herself. And as an adult, when she was a, a woman, but like not married, it was expected that she would stay at home and live with her parents until she was married. But she wanted a place of her own. And that was kind of a big deal to break away from her family. But she found like a really old building that was drafty, but she filled it. It was beautiful and it's filled with beautiful things. Um, so that was always important to her to like, be surrounded by stuff like that. She is a graduate of the Iowa Poetry Workshop, pretty close to where we met. Um, and she makes it um, clear in the intro that she was experimenting with making stories shorter. Like that was very, very intentional. Um, the way she fragments sentences to make them serve a purpose but she also talks about not feeling like a real feeling like a real writer if she was in a room with like other white men um but also having to always do the things that she's afraid of doing like even walking home alone at night and the difference of feeling like a writer alone versus feeling like a writer when she knows she's part of a community or like a canon of other mexican american latina writers well that makes me feel kind of bad for listening to it because she talks about how she intentionally made them short for her audience because mm -hmm. she knew she was writing for the people in their neighborhood and the people of her community. And she was like, they don't have time to sit down and read this like lengthy book. Mm -hmm. So I made these short vignettes so that it's something that they can read in between like a work mm -hmm. day or when they're sitting down for lunch or something. And so now I just feel bad because that's my kind of reading. I have a very short attention oh. span. Readability meaning the visual, like, spacing of paragraphs and everything is super important to me because, listen, if it's a hunky-chunky, mm -hmm. it's going to be, I'm going to fall asleep, yeah. like, six times right. in the middle of reading the first sentence just because I know that, like, I have this mountain ahead of mm -hmm. me. But now I feel bad, so sorry. But you mentioned, so you read this in high yes, school? Yes, I did. Because I, big surprise, did not read this in high school but i remember hearing about it i also remember hearing another book about a mango called the mango shape yeah Space, i love that book but that one's a fiction is that fiction? yes actually i haven't read that one either but <laughs> no, I it's okay we have different experiences i read this in 10th grade <laughs> and i my 10th grade english teacher was a character he loved catching us off guard and he was a you know a very he was a phd student at the time he was a really you know very unique thinker such as like when we were reading this i really remember him pushing the idea that windows were super important symbolically in this book or maybe in a different book or maybe in all the books because he loved giving us themes that he's like windows and everything were, yeah we're universal <laughs> I remember when he would read out loud, he would be like, blah, 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 window, and then look around, and then go back to reading. Oh, that's weird. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. Because I just, I still, even as an adult, really kind of struggle with symbols. As we talked about in other conversations, I can recognize yeah. when something is a symbol, and I can, you know, I can recognize it makes me feel <laughs> or recognize something, but I just don't always know how to articulate. Articulate it. Got it, yeah, got yeah, it, yeah, got yeah. it. Anyway. Uh, wait, so you read this in 10th yeah. grade? Did you want to hear about more of those themes? Because it's a real fun time to tell people. I would love to know the... Okay. Uh, so he had like six themes that he, I think, was saying would be relevant in all the books we read. So this might come up later. One of them was community and belonging. Another one was who am I versus who I am. Escape to another world. Returning, or no, escape and return. That was the one theme. Expectation and reality. Growing up and conflict is just the word i have here i don't really know what that means 
Conflict is a thing. Conflict. I also want to share this like post that I made on Facebook. I was trying to be super deep and like tie it all together. So I just made this paragraph. I made this post in 2011. I didn't really belong in my community. And when I asked, who am I? I answered, who I am. I tried to escape to another world, but returned to this one because the conflict between expectation and reality made me realize I still had growing up to do. Like this, if you know what this is about. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Oh, I got 12 likes. One of them was myself. <laughs> oh, good. You were just like, don't forget to love yourself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Check self-love. I just, when asking who I was, what, what was it? Who am I? Who I am. <laughs> Dang. Well, since you've already read this, I mean, I assume you have no unanswered questions. You were like, oh, I have walk unanswered in the park. questions. I know everything. Oh. Oh, you do? Yeah. Um, my question is, how old is Esperanza in this part of the story? How old do you think she was? I would guess maybe like late middle school, early high school. Sure. I honest, I was surprised to hear that it took place over the course of one year. I mean, a lot can happen in a year. That's true. And right. you do grow up a lot. Also, okay, wait, yeah. where did you hear that it was a one year time period? Because I don't recall reading it. Wikipedia. Okay, Wikipedia. But Wikipedia could be lying. I thought, and I remember in high school, I thought she was a child, like seven to eight. Like the, the voice was very yeah. much childlike to me. And I, so I went to that initially in this reading thinking, oh, this is a child. But then something started to confuse me. Like she gets a job and she does have to lie about her age to like say she's older. But so that kind of pushes her later. She also says things like she says she's friends with a lot of like adults. So like when all the chapters that introduce people in her neighborhood, majority women and girls. So she will say like, oh, Sally, my friend or, um, I'm trying to think, Alicia, my friend. But Alicia it has mm-hmm. gone away to college and came back. So, yeah. I, I mean, I have to assume she's at least a little bit older. Um, or she'll say, or oh, that woman who was, um, who had to stay in bed all the time. I think she mentioned her as a friend. Yeah. And that was a little inter- like, odd oh, to me. okay. And maybe Here's it- what it says. Here's what Wikipedia says about the house on Mango Street. Structured as a series of vignettes, it tells the story of Esperanza Cordero, a 12-year-old Chicana oh. girl growing up in the Hispanic quarter of Chicago. Based in part on Cisneros' own experience, the novel follows Esperanza over the span of one year in her life as she enters adolescence and begins to face the realities of life as a young woman in a poor and patriarchal community. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So anyway, I was saying she was friends with adults, so that made me kind of confused. Um, just because I don't, as a kid, I wouldn't describe, oh, like, there's, you know, this adult on the street, I'm friends with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be like, no, that's, like, my neighbor or my mom's friend or something. Yeah, the fact that she takes all of the people that she meets and she puts them on, like, one mm-hmm. playing field of, like, you are my friend and that's how I refer to you. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure, I think it's Alicia, mm-hmm. who was the university yeah. student who returns, was babysitting her cousins. And so rather than saying, like, oh, my cousin's babysitter, blah, 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 which would give some sort of, like, social hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. The fact that, again, yeah, they're all referred to as my friend, my friend, my friend. Mm-hmm. Thing. Well, it's, like, interesting. It gives you some insight about how this character forms relationships mm-hmm. and, like, views the world. Yeah, and I think it's 
it's I mean it's very equalizing and it she talks at the end about how she leaves you know and it's implied she goes to college because she talks about bringing her books and her papers with her but she doesn't ever really come up with like the narrative of you know pulling yourself up by the bootstraps kind of person or let's not think of like the model minority myth like the idea that like oh yeah. you can anybody can make it in the U.S. if they just work hard enough yeah or if they're special um yeah like she never really takes that on she sees herself as part of her community and as equal with the people around her um so i think that's important because when she talks about how she will she knows she will come back for the community like that it's important to know that she never saw herself as separate she just is the same as them um so anyway i guess that wasn't so that question had an answer how old is she but i was yeah really wondering about that friendship thing like friendship with every all the adults i had another question why were Mm -hmm. her brothers not part of the narrative as much as like her sister Nenny, and that yeah. now a kind of natural a natural answer kind of arises in that she's very much focused or like writing about the girls' world as opposed to the boys' world because in early on she acknowledge Esperanza the narrator acknowledges that her boys or sorry her brothers um, <laughs> won't really talk to them when they're out in public because you know they're. They're boys and they can't be seen talking to their sisters. So, like, yeah. they're from the get go kind of put in a different world than Esperanza's in and her sister's in. I mean, it's either because I just don't remember. Yeah. Or, I, but I feel like a lot of emphasis was put on the community members rather than her own family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there's one chapter on her dad, one chapter, I think, on her mom. But they really got yeah, blend in with the whole community. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. They didn't, like, make a big impact on me because i think i was more drawn to yeah all these people that she meets in her community Mm -hmm. yes and then um this is kind of another do you have any other answer questions probably not we'll just assume no No comment oh i do have one question yes there's a vignette between esperanza and sally Mm -hmm. and i was wondering if they were romantically involved like i if in that specific scene if it was like were there queer undertones that i guess was my question fine if there wasn't or fine if there was but that was just one where i was like "Eh, yeah i know i i know what you're talking about and and so like so for the reader i mean the listener you're also a reader i guess Mm -hmm. um in the chapter titled sally there is these quotes like Sally's the girl with eyes like Egypt and Dylan's the color of smoke. The boys at school think she's beautiful because her hair is shiny black like raven feathers. And when she laughs, she flicks her hair back like a satin shawl over her shoulders and laughs. Um, so she's paying a lot of attention and it's not really clear if it's purely, purely internal monologue or not. Like Sally, who yeah. taught you to paint your eyes like Cleopatra? And if I roll the little blush with my tongue and chew it to a point and dip it in the muddy cake, the one in the little red box, will you teach me? I like your black coat and these shoes you wear. Where did you get them? And she talks about wanting stuff for Sally. Like, Sally, do you sometimes wish you didn't have to go home? Do you wish your feet would one day keep walking and take you far away from Mango Street, etc.? Because, I mean, well, so, (laughs) I mean, for the sake of argument, say like it wasn't queer at all. Say it was not intended. What would that mean then? Like, why is she paying such attention to Sally? Is it you know jealousy like does she want yeah i mean i feel like it's kind of jealousy or like recognizing how her despite them being like the same well i think they're the same age or like you Mm -hmm. know in the same kind of situation yeah they're given different circumstances and so it's kind of like oh like 
you have things that I don't have, does do you still want the same things that I want? Yeah. You know, like if you have the attention of all, because Sally's very popular with the boys. Yeah. Um, and even despite that, do you still want to escape this place, or do you still want more from life, or something like mm-hmm. that? So it could, and it could also be that. If it's not, if there's no queer undertones, then it could be that. Mm-hmm. But it also could be that on top of queer undertones. Right, right. Um, <laughs> they can be and, coexist. Yeah. And I, I will also say Sally and Alicia, I mean like all of them, but there's a lot of themes of sexual assault and mm-hmm. violence against women. Yeah. Like the patriarchy, the violence against women is kind of brought up at the very top of the book when Cisneros she says something like Mexican men like Chinese don't like their women strong mm-hmm. I mean it gives you a hint that this is a feminist tech even in the excerpt that you read it says like Sally do you are there times when you don't want to go home and yes. the reason is because her father is abusive and I think there was also because there is a por- part of the book where Esperanza herself experiences sexual assault mm-hmm. and when she's talking about it, she's talking internally to Sally. And Mm. so there's also, there was, I got a sense that she wanted to protect Sally, but she also wanted Sally to protect her. Yes. Esperanza, obviously, was very horrified by the experience of her Mm. sexual assault. Whereas Sally then actually, it's in a different, experiences in a different form. Like some boys her age, like steal her keys and won't give them back unless she like kisses them. And that yeah. is that's when Esperanza is like, this is wrong, and um, she has to save yeah. Sally, and she tries all these things. But even Sally herself is like, no, it's fine, go away. Which and like Esperanza finds that so like, you know, understandably Sorry. like upsetting. But it shows how they are both so powerless. <laughs> yeah, they they don't have power in this patriarchal world, and are seeing it in very different ways in those moments. Yeah, and it does also show, like, two... Uh, among many paths, but it shows, like, two paths in this patriarchal mm-hmm. society. So you have Sally, who takes kind of the path of, oh, I'll embrace it, and I'll just, like, find a man to marry, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, like, perpetuate these the vicious cycle of mm-hmm. abuse against women. And then you have yeah. Esperanza, who's just like, I'm gonna fight it. But you see that both kind of, both kind of lose, and I mean... I don't mean, like, lose in the sense that there's no hope for Esperanza and she can't ever escape. Mm -hmm. But it's just, like, they both lead to resistance. Like, even if you fully accept, oh, I live in a patriarchal society and I'll just make it work, like, you still lose. Mm -hmm. But I think think it it was very impactful, I think, that Esperanza wanted to save Sally, like, so much. Like, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, I was about to say, it was heartbreaking to see when she goes up to Sally's mom and she's like, hey, no. One of the boys, yeah, yes, yeah. and she's like, "Hey, this is going on. Like, help!" And then the mom's just like, "What does she even say?" She's, she's like, "What like, am oh, I supposed well. to do?" <laughs> like, I that was so hard because it wasn't just like, "Oh, I should really do something. What should I do?" Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like, "I know exactly what to do. I'm going to go to an authority figure," mm-hmm. and like this other woman who's been shaped by patriarchy is like, "Nothing you can do." Right? Yeah, that was yeah, just heartbreaking, so. and but also added to the queer undertones, like the wanting to save. Sally really, I think, you know, made it very obvious that... So she cared about her in a very deep and intimate, like, romantic way. Queer undertones. Yeah, I think so, We're always personally. questioning the queer undertones. Any more unanswered questions? No, I think that was kind of it. Are we talking about takeaways? 
Yes, okay. we're going to takeaways. Got it. So it talks about Chicanx culture and community, um, which is something that I had never heard of until college and we read Chicano literature. Yeah, and we want to clarify for the readers what Chicanx means just in case. Yes. Cool. It's a cultural identity that means you are Mexican-American, um, so of like Mexican descent, but born in the United States. Yeah, tell me, what what do you think was the intended takeaway? Like I said, there was a lot of talking about those themes. Um, mm-hmm. Going back to those six takeaways. Yeah, those six those... major takeaways that apply to every book ever, apparently. I would, So I would say that belonging in community and escape and reality, or sorry, escape and return really stuck out to me in these books. Like, belonging community obviously her getting to know each person in her community and like towards the end she meets these three older women they uh read her palms i think and they say oh you're gonna come back to mango street mm-hmm. she's like no i'm not and they're like yeah you are and you have to um so promise us that you will and as a i mean as a teen i didn't really understand i didn't have a sense of cultural identity yet so i didn't see that importance um, and the significance of choosing to return to the place that you came from. And to put that, I guess, in more concrete terms, like, Sandra Cisneros talks about how they lived in Pilsen, or she worked and lived in Pilsen, which is a suburb of Chicago that has a lot of Latinx population. And she says, and she describes this in this way. It's a Mexican neighborhood where the rent is cheap and too many families live crowded together. Landlords and the city take no responsibility for the rats, trash that isn't collected often enough, porches that collapse, apartments without fire escapes, until a tragedy happens and several people die. Then they hold investigations for a little while, but the problems go on until the next death, the next investigation, the next bout of forgetting. Uh, that's mm. from her intro. Like, and I think, I mean, you know, Mango Street isn't explicitly based on that, but that's, I think we can assume yeah. that's kind of a similar community um so it's significant that she chooses to go back like from the big the the summary quote um for the ones who cannot out for the ones who can't leave yeah and i was surprised that i don't know why this surprises me but i feel like in the stories that we've read so far i'm like oh returning back to your home and like that's not as common for example the giver oh yeah assumedly jonas is gonna come back and like protect his people but it ends with him like leaving and kind of I don't know, it doesn't really make that callback to say, don't forget, like, where you came from mm-hmm. and the good that you can do if you return. Yeah. And so I, I think that was just, like, a really powerful theme to end on. Right. I could go into a lot of the other themes, but I think that one was... Just, it was one that I had not really processed as a... As a high schooler. <laughs> I would say, also, this yeah. is, um... Kind of going back to, like, the unconventional writing style. It's a lot closer to poetry as a writing style than prose. It's It straddles that line. Yeah. Um, do we want to move on to ratings? Yeah. Okay. Here we go. I'm going to go first. Well, this was a unconventional story structure in comparison to the last few books that we've read. Um, it's a little more similar to I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings in that each chapter is fairly like an isolated experience. Mm-hmm. So at times it was kind of hard to string it all together in the grand scheme of the book and the grand scheme of Esperanza's life. Mm-hmm. But again, I enjoyed the readability of it, even if I wasn't reading it, listening to it, like I enjoyed that each story was a story in itself. Mm-hmm. So I would say for me, this was like 8.5, like a 9. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed... it <laughs> yeah <laughs> is it my turn i'm now? done now okay <laughs> your turn okay i know last episode i was like 10 out of 10 is unattainable but i'm actually gonna give this one a 10 out of 10 i, I and i think it's 
because of my first reading experience where I just was like, I don't get it. It is mm-hmm. such a rich text and so complex. There's, you know, there's just so much intention throughout it. Like the length of the stories and the word choice and the rhythm and which word she repeats often. And yeah, I think the intentionality is like really what gets me. It's okay. I want to say like, it's cozy, but not necessarily positive which is also not to say it's negative it's just very all-encompassing like i feel immersed it's cozy yeah it's cozy but not good (laughs) (laughs) but you hate it no but it's not no no, it's like and and it's such it packs a punch it's so short so listen if you want to get punched (laughs) the house on mango sheet by sandra cisneros let's get into our recommendations i have one at the ready right thank now. thank goodness <laughs> it is another chicana text Ooh. one that i read like i mentioned before i'd never heard of chicana culture or literature until i got to college and it was this story this uh, text that introduced me to it and it was mm-hmm. how to tame a wild tongue by gloria Enzeldua. i believe i'm pronouncing that right it's an essay and it's in part of a larger work, but I haven't read the larger work. I only read this es- essay. But the larger one is Borderlands slash uh, La-, La Frontera, the new Mestiza. I probably mm. biffed all of that. But I did a close reading of the essay, and so I definitely read it from an academic standpoint, so that affected how I engaged with the text. I would recommend it just because... what well, I think it expands upon what Chicana is, for people who like me who don't know. And then it also does a lot of integration of Spanish into the text, which I really enjoyed. Enzel Dua talks a lot about how even within the Chicana community, there's a lot of discourse and conflict. So mm-hmm. that is my recon- recommendation. Great. Okay, so my first book is Aya, Life in Yap City, which is a graphic novel, and I think it was originally written in French, but um, there's an English version as well. It's about uh, a woman living in the Ivory Coast in 1978, and it's, I would say, slice of life drama kind of thing. Just the immersion aspect is kind of what called to, like, related these books for me i also recommend with the fire on high by elizabeth acevedo and the main character she's in high school but she's already had a baby so it's about her you know trying to find a way to you know reach for her dreams while you know being a mother yeah it's really immersive with the food the author is afro-dominican and the main character is puerto rican like that's what she Mm. so that's what a lot of her cuisine is influenced by Mm-hmm. Three great recommendations. Yeah. Amazing ones. Ten out of ten. Yes. Says we. Um. Well, then let's get into what we're currently reading. You want to go first? Yeah. Sure. I am currently reading "They're There" by Tommy Orange. It's like ten characters that each have their own narrative, so they're all going to end up at like the same powwow. So I don't know mm-hmm. if they're all 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 Native American, um, but like the majority of them are, and the author is Native American. Um, and fun fact, that is a book I'm borrowing from my sister as she's, like, in a college class. So I have to read it by the end of August or she'll have to return her rental. That's it. So that's it. That's what I'm reading. Nice. I am currently reading Magic for Liars. I'm listening to that by Sarah mm. Gal. I think it's Gailey or Galley. And I think I put it on my list because it was written by an LGBTQ mm-hmm. author. And Sarah Gailey Galley is non-binary. 
and I was trying to, I'm still trying to broaden my, like, readership. It's about uh, a woman who has a twin sister who is magic, but she is not. And then she goes to her sister's school to solve a murder. Mm-hmm. So it kind of reminds me of Harry Potter, like, basically the perspective of Petunia. Yeah. Her sister is Lily. Right. Which, honestly, I was thinking if I was, if my sister was magic and I wasn't, I would be so pissed. Yes. Yeah. It's also interesting because the character chooses, this is spoilers, so, you know, if you're going to read this, you better not care about spoilers and or read it before you I finish the sentence. But <laughs> um, the character, her, whose name is Ivy, decides to lie when she gets to the school and pretend that she's magic. And I'm like, that's a long-ass con. Yeah, that's... Like, a- <laughs> I don't know how you would keep that up. Like, they'd be like, hey, there's one part where it's like, oh, I can't get the coffee machine to work. And they're like, oh, well, you need to use this charm. We have it set there so then the students can't sneak in and use our coffee. And I'm like... What do you do then? Like, you just have to ask every single t- Like, I'm about to head to the bathroom. Can you make me a coffee cup real quick? Bye. This is like, an easily discoverable lie. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, all right, lady, that's your choice. So I'm do I'm listening to that, and then I am reading Disappear, Doppelganger, Disappear. Ooh. I'm raving about this book. I posted it on our Twitter. It's by Matthew Salisis, who was my supervisor person mm. for my senior creative writing thesis project. He is a Korean adoptee. So there's like He's great. definitely it influences his work. The main character is a Korean adoptee. It deals a lot with identity, and it is so far just like super amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's just bias because I truly admire the writer himself or what, mm-hmm. but I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. I can say also, yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah, and I know him. So it's like not just saying, oh, Daniel Radcliffe's great, but I don't know him. I just think that. <laughs> um, but going into what we were reading last time, um, I know that we're both, or we're both reading Red at the Bone for our book club that we're in by Jacqueline Woodson. Yeah, we were. I finished it. Did you finish it? Yes, I did. I mean, what did you think about it? I thought it was great. <laughs> it was like a multi-generational story, which, as we know, I love those. But it was like snappy, like it was efficient and still immersive, you know? Yeah, but it does a really good job of bringing to light the complexity of any given situation. Yes. Um, I'm also finished How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. I would recommend that one as well. It is a memoir about Saeed Jones, and he grew up as a... Well, he... Yeah, well, he grew up as a black gay man. He is a black gay man, and he just talks a lot about that experience, which I think black queer individuals don't always... There's a wealth that still needs to be shared. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, it also reminded me of, there's this one, there's this one sketch about how gay characters are portrayed typically. Yeah. And so like a lot of the time when they're portrayed in the media, it's like, oh, I'm gay, but like I'm palatably gay for, yeah. for the mainstream public where it's just like, oh, I don't really have any sexual desires. Like, sure, I like kissing boys, but like yeah. I'm not like really a real person. And I think that... Mm-hmm this book does a really good job of really just showing you like what it really means to be gay. It is what it is. And so I think that's just a helpful narrative to have. Um, and then I read the water dancer by Tana Hesse Coates, my favorite. I think I mention him every single freaking time. The water dancer is about, it's a slave narrative. I think that's all I'm going to mm-hmm. go into it, but I would, I would suggest it. And it's got a sure. little bit of uh, magic. 
involved. Um, and then Gross Indecency, The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde, which was what I was reading last time, a play. I finished it. I really have no comments. It was fine. Okay. I, I've i read a lot less this month. I had to get ready for a move, so I was just exhausted all the yeah. time um, and worried, very worried, because, oh, oh, another current event, the pandemic's still happening. So I've only, I've only, I mean, it's still, you know, any readings an accomplishment. Fun Home. I finally read it. I've seen the musical and I thought like I didn't I didn't know what I expected with the memoir, but it was way more intellectual than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, dude, when I was reading that, I at the time I remember yeah. I was like, I'm going to write down all the words I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wrote down a lot of words. There's, all, There's a yeah. lot of words in there. I'm like, I don't know what this means. Yeah, and oh my gosh, I was reading like the print version. I was reading your book. And so you can't yeah. like click and hold on the word that you don't know you have to go somewhere else to look it up yeah also it turns out they talk a lot a lot a lot about ulysses and i didn't know that it i didn't know what ulysses was about (laughs) so that was fun (laughs) um home (laughs) (laughs) homie (laughs) that was fun homie Okay. okay anyway and then i read the library at mount char by scott hawkins and that is a huh my I, okay my goodreads review for this book is just yikes and listen that's a review that i cannot use for any other books so you know that this one's very yikes um it's like what is lovecraftian like there's tentacle monsters and like very much a horror aspect of it this the premise is that there's this person this being that they all call father but it's kind of god like he created the universe as it as it is now for us and so he like chooses 12 children and like kind of kidnaps them and trains them to also sort of be gods but they all have like their specialization like one is the librarian or the cataloger of animals so he spends all his time living with the animals and learning about them and doing diplomacy with them <laughs> And then there's a, a nasty one who he's the catalog of murder and war. So he's just very violent. And like, so I will warn the reader, like this book deals with like incest and sexual violence and very, just very high, high levels of violence and sometimes torture and gore. So, yeah, so I didn't, I, I was like, that's too much <laughs> of all that. But um, it's still all right as a, as a story. Like, I'll give it that. that. So yeah, it was a yikes experience. I read The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which was interesting because it was reimagining um, in the time of slavery, the Underground Railroad as an actual railroad. So it was more symbolic. Like the main character tries to escape with another slave. Um, and so they have to go underground and get on a physical train to like go places. And it was this again, like this one also has a lot of lot of violence um, and torture and um, some sexual violence. But it was just interesting because it, it definitely reworked a lot of slavery, like for the narrative in the sense that like simplifying what each state did, like it said, oh, all of North Carolina did this. They banned all people of color from the state. Like that's how they dealt mm-hmm. with it. Whereas, like, oh, South Carolina did this. Like, they let people of color stay, and it controlled basically how they live. It was interesting. It's it's, um, been compared to, like, Gulliver's travels, where, like, he, Mm -hmm. in that story, he goes to different islands and, you know, faces different challenges at each one. So it's that kind of story where it's like, oh, I'm in this new place with new challenges. I'm in this other place with new challenges. Not he, she. It kept me on the edge of my seat. It was pretty thrilling. Oh, yeah, another, like, warning for that is a lot, a lot of um, N-words being used. And that's the most recent book I've finished. Lovely.
Um, now we have a Twitter, so definitely add us at Red Not Read Pod. R E A D N O T R E A D P O D. Woo! Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, our email has been there for a very long time and it's never gotten used, so if that doesn't change, oh well. But, um, we have an email and it is, it is reading, no, (laughs) I do this every time. (laughs) Every time. Uh, Writing, not reading at gmail.com and that is spelled R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T-R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. We had some laughs. We had some... I don't know. What else did we have? Yeah, what did we do when we weren't laughing? We had some good talks. <laughs> some good breaths. We were breathing. Yes. Um, but now it's time to close it out. Mm-hmm. And we will see you next month when we read the book. Uh, the Great Gatsby by Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you guys have a book you want us to read, like, tell us. Because we're looking for suggestions. So, strap in, kids, because we're about to go back to the Roaring Twenties. Yes. Woo! Woo! (laughs) Okay. All right. Goodbye. Bye.